Well, let's jump right in today. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're talking about Godonomics. We've been looking at what God says about money. And I, I want to reiterate this. Um, and I, and I, I say this often. Um, you know, if you follow me on Facebook, you, you see that I constantly put stuff out dealing with Scripture and things like that. Same with Twitter and whatnot. I'm not a huge social media guy. Um, usually when I am sitting around and I got nothing going on, I'll mindlessly drone through it. But, but or one of the Huskers are losing. I got to see what's going on and what the, the talking heads are saying, um, which means I've spent a copious amount of time on Twitter this year. So, but they, uh, you know, what, what, what we're looking at is what does God have to say on the subject? When we talk about voting in the election, what does God say about it? When we looked at that and it says, choose leaders from among you, we saw that um, Jethro told Moses, said, listen, this is what you need to do, Moses. You can't judge all these people on your own. You need to get men who, are fear, who fear God and keep the commandments who, and put them over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. We need to do this. That way you can actually go to the weightier matters and worry about those things. You have to choose people for that. So when we look at that, it's like, well, why are we a part of this process that, that it talks about when the, uh, the leaders are ungodly, the people groan. It says that in Proverbs. You know, it's like all these things. We have an opportunity here and we should take that that's why we do that when we talk about the gifts of the spirit as an example praying for people to be healed why do we do that because scripture tells us to right is it our responsibility to get somebody healed no it's our responsibility to pray for them is it our responsibility to get somebody saved no it's our responsibility to preach the gospel so that's why we do it we do these things because scripture says to so when it comes to finances, one of the biggest misnomers out there is that, well, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it. That is not true. There are over 2,000 verses dealing with money. It is important. We have to know it. We need to know what Scripture says about it. And what we do with it is ultimately our decision. No different than anything else. You know how many people I've had tell me through the years, well, I don't share my faith because that's very private. You realize that's an unbiblical statement? It is. Because we're told to. Specifically. When we talk about finances, well, I don't want to do this or that because, you know, whatever your reason is, whatever excuse, that's fine, but don't try to use the scriptures to back that up. And I'm going to show you that today because we're going to get in today about tithes and offerings specific. Now, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm giving a little bit of a precursor here. I'm going to ask you, it's just do what Acts 17.11 says. Go to the scripture, take everything I say in with all heart, go to the scripture, see if what I say is true. Because I'm asking you not to take my opinion on it. What happens a lot of times when this subject comes up, probably more than any other subject, somebody ends up getting offended. It's inevitable. It ha every church I've ever been a part of, I have seen somebody get offended when it started teaching about money. I don't need no preacher telling me what to do with my money. That's what I hear. And you're right, you don't. But we should go to what the Scripture says. Right? And so all I'm asking you is just take what I say. You do with this information what you want. You can think I'm, I'm crazy, I'm wrong, whatever. That's fine. I'm not doing this to try to get you to give more money. I'm not. You know why? I don't need to. God takes care of this church, does he not? Absolutely. Who ordained this church to exist? God did. Wasn't you, wasn't me. Okay? It was a group of people that had on their heart to come together and form a church of like faith. And because of that, we are all here today. Some of you guys were a part of that. And so the, God set this stuff up, God takes care of the church, and our finances are great. So I'm not asking you to give more money. That is not what I'm here to do. I want to make that very clear. Another thing I want to make very clear is regardless of the amount of money that goes into the offering, I don't get any of it. I just, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't get a kickback, all right? I'm not back there helping count one for you, one for me. That's not happening, okay? So I have no interest in this. I don't care. 
It makes no difference to me. I watch the numbers for one reason. I control the budget. I want to make sure that we're on track. If things are getting a little lean, then we stop spending in different areas that we don't need to. If things are going well, then we keep on track with our budget. It's the only thing I check. And that's it, because I feel like it's my responsibility, because I do run the place. So, with that being said, we're going to jump into this. So, the reason I'm giving you all of this information is because it comes down to one thing when it comes to the area of money. It's a matter of the heart. We read this last week, we'll read it again. Luke 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now think about that. We have to define what our treasure is. We've all known somebody who was so obsessed with making money that it consumed their world. Material things, it consumed their world. I have a family member that every time he buys something new, calls me to tell me he bought something new. Okay? If I bought something, like as an example, many, many years ago, we had a, a TV that went out. It was about 100 years old when it finally died. So we went out and bought a new one. Okay? And these are the old tube TVs. I happened to buy this giant 36-inch tube TV. It weighed 8,000 pounds. And I lived on the second floor of an apartment building. That was fun. I was married. My wife was no help. Okay? However, we bought this thing, and immediately after that, the flat screens came out. I was like, oh, good timing, Chris. So, although they were $10,000 when they first came out, and that was a little out of my budget as a college student. But be that as it may. So I bought this new TV. We worked at Sears, got the employee discount. It was on sale. So I went ahead and bought it. I was like, yeah, this will work. You know, this will do the job, whatever. I mean, we got to watch football on Saturdays. Back then, Nebraska won every once in a while. So um, get it. My family member finds out about it, and a month later, he goes out and buys a big screen. The old school big screen, because that's what they were back then. But that's what he did. Why? competition. He was more concerned with his worldly stuff than I was. I didn't care. I wanted something that showed me the Nebraska game. That's all I wanted. It's not asking much, you know, but, but that's just how they are. We know people like that, but think about the word treasure. What can be your treasure? It can be anything. It can be sports. It can be football. You ever met somebody that that's all they talk about? They live, sleep, breathe, eat, all of that. Football. Uh, not Katie. She also doctors her husband. <laughs> but but oh, we've met that person. There, there was a, a gentleman one time that he was in a church that I was on staff at. And the uh, man was, I'm going to say 30 or something. And, and he loved talking about football. But you know what else he loved talking about? Video games. All right? So he came up to me on a Sunday. He was a Kansas Jayhawk fan. Right. I don't get it either. I mean, maybe basketball, but not football. But anyway, he comes up, and he was telling me about, he's like, man, he's like, uh, the Jayhawks, they beat, I don't remember what team it was, and he said, I mean, they like, they scored so many points, I don't remember what the number, it was an astronomical number, and all of this, and I'm sitting there like, I watch a lot of football, I don't remember seeing that, and it's the Jayhawks, so I know that's not possible. He was talking about the video game he was playing, like it was real life, and I'm thinking, this is so sad, you need a girlfriend. It's no guarantee, but it could help. But, but I mean, it was like the, the, his treasure was in that moment. Now think about this from a spiritual standpoint. When your treasure are the things of God, you will do or go wherever God says. So there are statistics out there. Let me give you an example of that. They say that if you have a midweek service, either a Bible study or full service, the average attendance percentage of your Sunday morning service is 20%. Okay, so if you have 100 people that attend a church on a Sunday, then your Wednesday night service, you should expect about 20. 
okay? That's just a rule of thumb. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. That's how averages work. So they say, the reason they say that is sometimes people do have legitimately things going on on Wednesday nights. It's just the way it is. If you have kids that are in sports anymore and Wednesday nights are a night that you're gone, that's fine. That, that happens. But the, the truth is, is that Sundays is our religious center. This is when we put in our time. Wednesday's like extra. It's like extra credit. And I don't need extra credit if I'm passive. So there's that. But if you have a prayer service throughout the week, that percentage drops down to 5. 5%. Where is your treasure? Is it in the time of coming together as the body of Christ and worshiping God together, or is it in other things? Now, it doesn't mean you've got to be here every time the doors are open. I grew up in that family. If the pastor was going to watch the windows on a Thursday night at the church, we showed up and watched him. That's what we did. And so, you know, it was one of those things that we were there every time the doors were open. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, where is your treasure? If your treasure is reaching the lost with the gospel, you should be around people who are lost. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart is. My heart flows. I, I, listen, I love people. I love dealing with people. I love talking to people, even if they disagree with me. I love interacting in conversations like that. And I spend a lot of time outside of this building with other people that aren't necessarily born-again believers. And I have lots of conversations about that very thing. The reason for that is that is where my heart has always been since as long as I can remember. That's what I treasure more than anything else. Is I want to see people come to Christ. And so when we look at this, when we talk about finances, it is, is that in your treasure where moth and rust can destroy? Or is this a tool given to us by God that we use for Him? You see, we read in Deuteronomy last week that there were four things that we have to do. And I'm going to read that passage again. But the first thing we had to do was to deal with a selfish heart. This is mine. I, I, it belongs to me. I can't give it. And then we have to deal with this grieving heart that we grieve when we give our money away. Have you ever made a stupid decision with finances? The answer is yes, because you have a pulse. I guarantee you that you have. Have you ever heard of what's called buyer's remorse? You purchase something, you're like, ugh, I shouldn't have done that, right? I mean, I bought an Oklahoma Sooner sweatshirt for a quarter at a garage sale, and I'm like, man, I just paid three times what that thing is worth. <laughs> buyer's remorse, right? So we got to deal with our grieving heart. But from that, we have to develop a generous heart. Because we realize, now think about this, if God is the one who provides everything for us, how much supply does he have? It's endless. There is nothing that we can ask for that he cannot provide, right? There is not a limit on it. There's only so much funds and you get your percentage. No, if that's the case, then I should easily be able to be generous knowing that he is my supplier. And from that, because of what he's done for me, then I can be grateful, and we have to develop those two things. So we've got to deal with the first two, and then we've got to develop the second two. And you know what that takes? Effort. It doesn't happen overnight. But when we get into giving, and we get into tithes and offerings, we begin to talk about this. Number one, I ask you to just stay with me on this. If you disagree with me, that's okay. No reason to get upset. Go to the Scriptures. But the other thing we're going to do as we get into this over the next few weeks is we're going to begin to look at sacred cows that come from the church while dealing with finances. We are going to look at things that maybe you have heard before that maybe aren't biblical. We're going to look at things that people do in the name of God to collect money that are definitely not biblical and are manipulative. Because the one thing you ask anybody is like, you go to church, the one thing that a church is always going to do, it's going to collect its offering, right? It's what they do. We're here to get your money. So let's start here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. This is used all the time 
We're going to break this down a little bit today. This is obviously Paul talking. He says, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast to you that the Macedonians and the Achaia were, was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort you, brethren, to go ahead, uh, to, uh, go, ahead to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Now, let's look at this. Paul is talking about, he's talking about all these people. He's like, listen, I've been bragging about you, okay, and the things, your walk with God and all of that. He's not bragging about their money or the gift, but he's saying, okay, now listen, I'm letting you know ahead of time that way you can prepare the gift that you have promised. So who got to decide what that gift was going to be? They did. Was Paul standing up there saying, listen, if you do not give me $5,000, I'm not able to come. I can't do it, can't make it work in the budget. Okay? That's not what he's saying. You guys decided this gift, so I'm just giving you ahead of time. We're going to be making our way there. That way you can be prepared for it, that you made this generous gift beforehand as promised, that it's a matter of generosity and not something we have to do. Right? A grudging obligation right? We're dealing with a selfish heart, a grieving heart. Let's develop a generous heart and a grateful heart. Why would they be giving? Because they love the work of Paul. Paul is the central reason that they have all come to the faith now, and they know the work that he's doing. Therefore, they have agreed to support that in some capacity. And so, hey, we're on our way. That way you can be prepared. We don't surprise you. You know why? They didn't have social media back then. They couldn't drop a letter in the mail very easily. So he's letting him know, hey, we're going to be making our way there. So you're prepared. There's a little different times. But it's all about generosity and not of obligation. Now, let's go on this. Verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, let's look at these. These aren't words we use. You've got sparing and bountiful. Okay? Little, lot. Now, you've got sowing and reaping. What is that? Not terms we use. We call them planting and harvesting. You are sowing and you are reaping, you're taking, you're giving and receiving. That's the difference, okay? Now, some of you guys are sitting there like, duh, I'm just making sure everybody's on the same page. So, he who sows generously, how will you reap? The same in which you sowed. If you sow literally, grudgingly, whatever, you're going to reap the same way. So, it's all a matter of what? Your heart. He's saying, listen, you made this gift promise, I'm preparing you that way you know ahead of time. You don't do this out of obligation. You do this because you love the work of the Lord. You love God. That's why you're giving it. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. What does that mean? As you have decided, whatever you want to do. He's not saying everybody needs to do this. He's saying as you want to do, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay. Now ask yourself, do I give cheerfully? I remember when I first came here, the first time I visited, Jim was up here doing his thing. Jim's out of town this weekend, so I can talk about him, and he can't do anything about it. But Jim was up here. He's like, okay, it's offering time. And the, the few of you that were still here at that point were like, yes, we're excited. Why? We give to God. We're cheerful givers, okay? 
So as we purpose in our heart, we don't do it because we have to, we don't do it grudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. When it says have all sufficiency in all things, is there anything that you don't have? No. Have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now think about it. Let's break that down for a second. Who supplied the seed? God. It didn't say, oh, your job, your farm, your business. It's He supplies seed to the sower. You have bread for food, and that supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits. Now, think about this. When I, we're in harvest time right now. All these farmers went out and planted a single seed of corn, one at a time. And what do they get back? Not a single seed of corn. They get multiple seeds of corn. Kernels, right? They reap more than they've sown. That is the principle that is going on here. Now, we'll get into the concepts later on about the giving to get concepts and all of that. But, but it's enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. In other words, we should be so thankful to God that when He provides a seed that we can sow for His benefit, that we know that no matter what we do, God will always provide more seed. Because there's not a limited amount of it. We've talked about that whole thing about economics and stuff. The problem with the non-capitalistic mindset, the socialism and things like that, they act like there is a finite amount of money. And therefore, in order to get their fair share, they have to take it from somebody else. But in a true market economy, the, the money supplies are endless. Because, yes, there'd be trading hands and stuff, but when people decide, I would rather have that item than the cash, you can increase your wealth that way. Here, it's like God provides C, I bring it back to Him. God increases that, therefore I have more to bring. That is the principle that we are getting here. So, verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Guys, this is a passage that's used all the time in churches. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But what is the ultimate hidden meaning behind all of this it has to do with one's heart that's it we will always come back to that because scripture always comes back to that you will not outgive god and when you begin to recognize that what you have does not belong to you but belongs to him you are more willing to do what he tells you to do with it so let's look at this there are two types of giving we've talked about this briefly there are ties there are offerings. So what is the difference? What is the tithe? All right? The word tithe means 10%. Okay? That's all it is. The principle here is you bring 10% of the first of your increase to the Lord. We'll get into more details on that here in a minute. But the offering is above and beyond that. Whatever the tithe was, that's fine. You choose what to bring, if anything, above that. 
if you want to. That's, it's really that simple. It's not that complicated. Now, let's look at some of these things. Are we, as Christians, required to tithe? Is there a commandment that Jesus gives that says, thou shalt tithe or else? We are not. Think about this. We aren't required to do anything. Acts chapter 5, we've read this before, where they, Ananias and Sapphira, they bring the gift, they sold the land, but they only brought a portion. And they lied about it, and they get judged for it. And Peter says, listen, when it was still yours, it was yours to do with what you wanted. And after you sold it, that money was yours to do with whatever you wanted. But you've chosen in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So did he give joyfully, cheerfully, or did he give begrudgingly? i got to do this because everybody else is. If you put money in an offering plate because everybody else is, then you've missed the point because it doesn't matter. You see, I, I've said this before. I've joked about it. Now, we don't pass a bucket here. Most churches don't do that anymore. Some still do. But it used to be that the dollar bills were always kind of rolled up or sometimes folded into different things and thrown into the bucket, but them $100 bills were laid flat for all the world to see. It's like, well, you got your reward if that was what you were going for. So we aren't required to do anything with our money. We are not required to give. We are not required to tithe. So am I standing up here telling you that you guys all need to start giving more? Nope, not telling you that at all. All we're trying to do is look what the Bible says. Now the question is, do we have to? No, but should we? Should we tithe? Because you'll hear things like this, and this is popular stuff. Well, that tithing thing was the Old Testament. Or that that was under the law and Jesus came to set us free from the law. Sort of. He fulfilled it. We don't have to do that. He did away with it. He did away with that Old Testament law. Or, well, if you really study this out, the tithe was actually a tax. And we pay enough taxes already. It was a temple tax, and it was used to support the, the temple and, and the Levites, the guys that were in the temple and stuff like that. So therefore, we don't have to do that because we don't have a temple that we support, and we don't have Levites, right? I mean, we got all these excuses, but let's look at this. Let's see what Scripture says, all right? Leviticus chapter 27 we're going to start in verse 30. Is this Old Testament? Yes, it is. All right, good. It says, verse 30, And all the tithe of the land, right? So what are we talking about? The 10%, the tithe, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. If a man wants it all to redeem any of his tithe, he shall add one-fifth to it. And we'll get into the redemption stuff later, not this week. And concerning the tithe of the herd or, or of the flock, of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchange it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Again, we'll get into that later. But let's look at this. All right. First of all, we have the tithe. We're talking about the tithe of the land. In other words, the the stuff that comes from the land, the, the produce and, and the harvest. And they had many harvests back then. And then you got the tithe that had to come with the, uh, the herd. Because that was their main monetary system. It says something here that I think is very important. All right? Now I'm going to read verse 30 again. The tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Whose is the tithe? It's God's. Now, you notice he didn't say here, it is yours to give if you want to. It said it belongs to him. Who's in possession of it? We are. Who does it belong to? Him. Okay? You see, it is holy to the Lord. Now, what does the word holy mean? It's set apart. 
So we have the tithe belonging to God, and it is set apart, it's sanctified, it's holy, just like He is holy. It is holy to Him. So, just thinking practically here, if something belongs to God, and He says, hey, this is holy, should we be messing around with that? Like, imagine Moses, if you will. He sees a burning bush off into the distance, and he walks up, and he's, you hear this voice that says, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground, set apart ground, holy before the Lord. And Moses says, I don't know, it's kind of cold. I need my shoes on. You know, I just got a new pair of Nikes, and they're looking pretty fly. I don't want to take them off. I mean, what do they do? They immediately, anything that was holy, sanctified to God. The temple uh, uh, instruments were all holy, sanctified, set apart. Used for God. Did the Jews mess with any of that stuff? No, 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 no. No, they did not because that was God's. So we're seeing something here. We're we're, going to begin to watch a little pattern. The tithe belongs to whom? It's God's. And it is set apart by Him and for Him. But who's in possession of it? We are. Okay, now, other than that, it explains nothing about tithing, right? It doesn't say, okay, now let's get into the specifics of this and let's do the math and all of that. Why do you think that is? It's almost implied that they already knew what tithing was. Now we see it here given in Leviticus, which is talking about the law and the specifics of the law. So we're definitely talking about Old Testament, and we're definitely talking about the Mosaic Law. Has the Mosaic Law been fulfilled by Christ? Yes, it has. Therefore, should we look at this and say, oh, yes, you're right, that is how it was, but that's not how it is now. Should we look at it that way? If we only use this verse, we could, possibly. Okay? So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting in verse 22. You shall truly tithe, same thing, all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn... Keep that in the back of your mind. The firstborn, the first fruits is another way you're going to hear this. Of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. Now, let me explain that just real quickly. The Levites, when they, Deuteronomy is Moses' last hurrah, his last sermon, if you will, before they're getting ready to go into the promised land. That's why I'm talking about the land that God's taken you to because they're going to have to go in there and they're going to conquer these lands all right and so when they get in this the levites do not get a specific portion of land every tribe was given a section the benjamins the judahs all of those guys got all of these different sections but the levites did not they were to serve the temple they were the ones they were the priests that's where the lineage of the priests came from the high priest coming from the line of aaron and so he's saying don't forget about these guys because they don't have land that they go and plant They are working for God, exactly what's happening. 
He says, so don't forget about them because they don't have any of the inheritance talking about the land inheritance, all right? Verse 28, at the end of every third year, you should bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. Who is the stranger, fatherless, and widows? The strangers are the non-Israelites, the aliens, okay? People that come in, but it's not just anybody, okay? They come in to Israel and become a proselyte Jew. So this isn't just the Canaanites, hey, we're passing through, feed us, okay? That's not what's happening here. It was somebody who came in and said, I'm going to put myself underneath that covenant. They would become circumcised. They would honor the Sabbath and keep all of the commandments. They were called proselyte Jews. And so because they became part of that nation, if they did not have rights to the land, which they didn't because that was given to physical national Israel, therefore they were set aside a portion of this every third year to help take care of those that were from another nation that came in, those who were without father. Why? Because if you didn't have a father, then you had no inheritance to, to hold on to, and they didn't work. The moms did not work. They had nothing to take care of themselves. And, of course, the widow, which would be the reason that she was a mother and did not have a husband. Okay? So they will eat and they'll be satisfied. And God will bless all that you put your hand to. So this is a little more specific. It's getting into a little bit more detail. Right? It's kind of saying, okay, guys, this is how you got to do this. So now we're talking about tithing here. And so when you do this, here's some more specificity about it. And that's kind of about it as far as the specifics of it. And it's almost like these guys really kind of knew what was going on. So if we look at this from a New Testament standpoint, are we under the law? No, we never were. Why not? It's not because we're born-again Christian. It's because we're not Israelites. That Mosaic covenant belonged to the nation of Israel. The Abrahamic covenant goes to all people. But the Mosaic covenant was specifically given when Moses was up on the mountain and God came down in the Ten Commandments, you know the story. He said, listen, I'll be your God. you be my people. If you keep my commandments, I'll bless you. If you don't, you'll be cursed. Do you agree to these terms? They said, yes, we do. Covenant was cut. Now they're in covenant with God. It was to those specific people. And if that's true, if it was part of the Mosaic law, would that have any part to do with us? No. And... Let's just say that we were Israelites, but we were Messianic. We believe that Jesus was the Messiah. If Jesus came and fulfilled that, which he said that he did, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it, would this have anything to do with us being required by us? The answer is no, if that was the case. And I know some of you guys are smirking at me because you know I'm setting you up right now. But what if tithing predated this? What if it was out there before the law was given? Let me give you an example. Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. Did murder only become wrong at that moment? You'd have to ask Abel that. Right? You, so it was wrong beforehand to murder. Didn't need it written down and saying, oh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. That is a bad idea. All this time I was confused. Tithing predated the law. And we see this in a couple of different places. So let me show you this. Now, you guys know the story of Abraham, you know of his, his nephew Lot, and you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where the angels go and they, they, they pull Lot out and his wife turns to the pillar of salt and all this other kind of stuff and, and whatnot. But before that all happens, there's a battle that's going on. 
And all these kings come into Sodom and Gomorrah and a few other places, and they capture Lot. And word gets back to Abraham. It's Abram at this point. He hasn't been, had his name changed. And so he gathers 300 plus men, and he goes in there, and he conquers these intruders, and he gets his nephew back. And he frees the kings of Sodom and all of that. So obviously Abraham's pretty well off. I mean, he had, he had a lot of stuff. Anytime that there was a battle that took place, what came with that? Spoils. Spoils of war. You see it when, when they go in there and they conquer Jericho. Okay? They, they were supposed to take the stuff, but they were supposed to consecrate it to the Lord. Any other city said, you can go and have all the stuff that you do with it what you want. So he goes in there and he gets all the spoils. So what would a, a typical person do? He's like, man, payday, right? Rescued my nephew. Apparently the king of Sodom thinks I'm an all right guy now. And I just scored all this sweet stuff. So let's look what Abram did with this sweet stuff. Okay? Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, excuse me, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. Now I'm going to pause there because I know not all of you guys know this. Melchizedek is only mentioned a couple of places. This being one, Hebrews being another. But he was the king of Salem, Salem meaning peace, king of peace. Some say righteousness. But he was the priest of God most high. Now if you know your, your Bible you'll know that the priesthood doesn't come until later, right? And who was the high priest? Aaron. But we see in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was high priest, not after the line of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. And talks about how he had no, no uh, uh, beginning and no end, basically. So some will argue, well, this was Jesus beforehand. I don't agree with that. I think he was an actual man. I think the scripture was set up in a way to show us that. I don't want to get into all of that. So here we've got... Abram coming back, he runs into this guy named Melchizedek. He tells us who he is and what he does. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now, how did he know to do that? Tithing hasn't been set up yet. How did he know? Obviously, it was set up. Obviously, there was a principle there. Now, what is he doing? He was a priest of God Most High. Who was the high priest representing? He's representing God on behalf of the people. We see it with Aaron that the high priest would go and he first sacrificed for himself and he would cleanse himself. Then he would go and make a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel and then he would enter into the most holy place and cleanse the things in there. He was a, a mediator between God and man. Here we have the same thing. So who, by rights, did Abram bring the tithe to? To God. He brought him to God. Why did he do that? It was God's. The tithe is God's. This was 500 years before the law. Okay, let me give you another example. Genesis chapter 28. Starting in verse 10, dealing with a guy named Jacob. What does Jacob's name get changed to later? Israel. Verse 10, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in the place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And its top reached the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And what do we call this passage? Jacob's ladder, that's what we know it as. This super tall ladder 
that reaches up to the heavens. And the angels, they come up and down. In fact, that ladder is still on this earth today. I don't know if you knew this or not. Stan has it. He brought it over to my house so I could reach the second story of my house when we were painting. I needed angels to get that sucker in the air because it was tall. Anyway, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Pause. What name is he going to get changed to later? Israel. So could we make the statement that through Israel, because this is where the nation of Israel comes from, through Israel, all the families of the earth will be blessed? Yes, we can. This is why we support Israel, folks. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. Now there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on here I'm not going to get into today. And he called his name, the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Now, Bethel means house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. What is a tenth? The tithe, it's the same thing. It's the same exact Hebrew word here. I will give a tithe to you. This is 400 years before the law. So can we safely say that tithing predated the law? Absolutely. We just read it. So the argument is that we don't have to tithe because we're not under the law has no weight whatsoever, right? None. Okay? So let's look at how this is practiced. It's Malachi chapter 3. One of the most pa- uh, famous passages dealing with tithing, right? If you've ever been to a church, when they take up an offering, they often read this one. But let's look at this. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Stop there for a second. Does the character of God ever change? If it did, he's not God. So we know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why do we know that? Because he said that. Okay? So no matter what happens, he does not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, or sons of Israel. Yet, from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. What is an ordinance? It's an ordinary behavior. It's the practices, the things that we've laid out, the things that we do. So you've gone away from my ordinance, you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Okay, asking a very specific question. Will a man rob God, this is God talking, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. They said, you've gone away from me, so how do we get back to you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. You know what some... A version of the Bible says, test me in this, 
says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in this field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will delight, be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now look at this. Who is he talking to here? It's the nation of Israel. Is he talking to us Gentile world? Not necessarily. And he says, listen, you guys have robbed me. You've gotten away from my ordinances, my ordinary behavior of what you do. You've robbed me. How did you do that? Through the tithes and offering, because you are not bringing them to the storehouse. And you look at verse 10. He says, bring the tithes into the storehouse. He didn't say give it. He says bring it. Why does he say bring it? It's his. If I had to stand a $100 bill, and I said, hey, can you bring that over here? He's not giving me 100 bucks. He's welcome to if he'd like to. But it's not what's happening. He's bringing what's mine. He says, test me in this. Go ahead. I double-dog dare you. Test me in this and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven. You know what that windows of heaven phrase comes from? Genesis chapter 6, Noah's flood, where the windows of heaven were open, so much so that the entire world was covered in water, even the highest mountain. You think that's enough blessing from God to maybe get you through the day? I think it would be. So this is his ordinary behavior. Tithing is an ordinary principle of behavior. But you know what tithing also is? It's a test. You see, a lot of times when you see the number 10 used in the Bible, it's typically used in a way of testing. You notice he said, test me in this. Okay? So, I'm going to go through a little exercise with you, okay? This is the interactive portion of the program. Okay? This is worth the admission that you paid because I'm going to make sure you know what you're talking about. How many plagues were there in Egypt? There were t- don't shout it all out at once, guys, okay? There were 10. Okay? There were 10 plagues. Another way we could say this is how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart. It was 10 times. All right? How many commandments were there? There were 10. Good. You guys are getting this. How many times did God test the Israelites in the wilderness? If you didn't know, I bet you can figure it out now. It's 10. How many times were Jacob's wages changed? 10. How many days was Daniel tested? It was 10. How many virgins were in Matthew 25? There's 10, and we're talking about testing there. How many days of testings are mentioned in the book of Revelation? 10. How many disciples did Jesus have? It's 12. You just said 10. I knew it. I knew somebody would. I couldn't resist. Sorry. It's all right. You see, tithing is testing your obedience to do what God has called us to do. Are we commanded to tithe? No. But is there a principle here? Absolutely. You see, it's a two-way test. He says, you bring the tithes to my storehouse and test me and see if I don't. This is is part of it. You notice we didn't get into the reason of why we tithe. Now, I hear all of this stuff all the time. And I have thought for years, it's like, you know, you put this in Malachi chapter 3. You're like, Three pages from being into Matthew. Why didn't you just put it there? Because then it would eliminate all the argument, right? 
It would take care of all of it. You know, like if you just put this in the New Testament, then anybody who doesn't want to tithe can't say, well, that's not a New Testament principle. But let me ask you this. If Jesus said that you should tithe, would you do it? Well, ask yourself honestly this question. Because Jesus says that we should go out and share the gospel, but do we do it? Yeah, sometimes. Jesus said we should lay hands on the sick, but do we do it? Yeah, sometimes. There's a lot of things that Jesus said that we should do that we don't do. So the question is, if Jesus said it, would we do it? If our heart and our treasure are on the things of God, we absolutely would. Now, this isn't a guilt trip. This is just being honest with ourselves. We have to look in the mirror. I'm going to tell you plenty of stories about myself along the way here. So if Jesus said we ought to tithe, would we? Well, guess what? Jesus did say that. Matthew chapter 23 Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Who were the scribes and Pharisees? Political leaders of the day. For you pay tithe of mint and ice and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What are the these you ought to have done? What's that referencing? The tithing. Or the others that were undone. The justice, the peace, the mercy, all of that, the faith. You see, Jesus actually told them, you should tithe, absolutely should. But you're doing it, but you're ignoring all the rest of it. So what does that tell us? Was their heart where it should be? No. It's always a matter of the heart. Now, I am not laying on a guilt trip here at all, because frankly, if you choose not to tithe, that is up to you. If you choose not to give $1 an entire year, it makes no difference to me. I'm not sitting there looking through and saying, okay, who's getting on the Christmas card list and who's not? That's not happening, folks, because there, there's so much wrong in this world when it comes to the area of money. But we should absolutely know what God says on the subject. And we should absolutely be doing exactly what He tells us we should do. Now, we're going to get more depth into this over the next few weeks. But we, the thing is, guys, is where's our heart at? We'll know where our heart at is at when, as soon as we figure out where our treasure is. What things matter more to us than anything else on this earth? And if it is anything other than God, then we know that we are off base and we need to begin adjusting and allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us in those areas. So as we go forward here and we begin to look at this stuff, there's a few things that we're going to do. We're going to look at all the, the, the common misconceptions about what God says about money and the things that we should do with it. And we're going to look at all the excuses that we make for it and stuff like that. And we're going to parallel them with things in this world. And it's, suddenly it's going to become so clear that you're not going to be able to deny it. And I'm not saying you guys are denying it, okay? I'm not saying that at all. But we're also going to look at about some of the stuff that is just wrong. Just flat out wrong. And things that are done in the name of God that are flat out wrong. And it's, it's a sad shame that people get suckered into some of this stuff. But, but it's, just, it's just not the way God would do things. Because when it comes to giving... It's always a matter of the heart. You choose what you do with that. When you owned it, was it not yours? And when you bring it, is it not yours? You guys will notice that every time we bring in a guest speaker, we have something going on. Heart for the kingdom as an example. I always ask you guys, I want you to go home and pray. I, give you, I try to give about four weeks ahead of time if I know about it. I want you to go home and pray. And I want you to seek the Lord. And if God puts something on your heart to give, then you give it. And if he doesn't, then don't give anything. You don't have to. And what do we do? We always we just trust God that God's going to do it. God knows what he's doing. So we're going to look at some more details on this stuff later. But the bottom line here is, guys, when we look at, at tithing, we've got to know what it is 
and why it was done, and we'll get into that more next week.